Welcome into another episode of Negative War, Positive Vibes. I'm CJ Nikowski here with Ryan Spielborgs. It is Saturday morning. I am in Seattle. He is in Colorado, and it is absolutely wild. Uh, we got two games to go, two days to go. I shouldn't say two games. We may see a game on Monday, but we have two days to go in the regular season, and there are still some things, some significant things uh, that are unsettled, including including what's going on in the American League West. The Rangers started a four-game series with the Seattle Mariners. They needed one win to get themselves into the postseason, and their magic number was two to win the division. Now, they're playing the Mariners, obviously a team in their division. The Houston Astros are the team uh, that is chasing them right now. They have dropped the first two in Seattle. Uh, The Houston Astros won last night in Arizona. The Astros now are just one game back of the Texas Rangers for the American League West lead. The idea of a three-way tie, Spilly, is still out there, which is the worst-case scenario for the Rangers because if there is a three-way tie for the division, the Rangers are out based on all the different tiebreakers. You throw the head-to-head away, you break down everything else for a team that has led this division for most of the year. They'd actually be out of a wild card um, as well unless the Blue Jays were to fall apart. Um, And that's also a possibility as well, but they wouldn't win the division and they would lose a tiebreaker uh, to the Houston Astros as well. The Mariners actually would win the division Uh, for in order for that to happen. The Rangers would have to drop their next two and the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Houston Astros actually have to split, which is that's a crazy scenario to think that if the Rangers were to lose today and the Astros were to win today, that if the Astros lost on purpose, that essentially could bounce the Rangers. That we've talked about that on the show a little bit. Like, would you ever uh, lose a game on purpose? It's kind of nuts, man. But the bigger picture for at least the team that was holding on uh, to the lead, we'll talk about kind of all three of these teams. Uh, the Houston Astros uh, certainly have done a good job the last night. They had uh, Ty, not Ty France, but JP France had to bail out last second because of a family emergency and had Jose Urquidy uh, step in. That's the storyline there. The Seattle Mariners, who have been struggling hitting, had a huge offensive night. Last night, but the Rangers short on pitching all the acquisitions um, that they have made from a starting pitching standpoint. Andrew Heaney is coming out of the bullpen to pitch today. Uh, Tomorrow is a TBD. Spilly, it is crazy right now uh, in the American League uh, West, all the different storylines going on. And it's like it couldn't have happened any faster or worse for the Rangers. I mean, it, it looked like you were finally getting to full strength. It looked good. Like offensively, it was they were in a good spot. Uh, they were one pitch away from from winning on Thursday night, and then they're fine. Last night was it was just a boat race, and then to your point, like we knew heading into yesterday's game, we're like, okay, there's an advantage possibly. Brian Wu hasn't been great going up against uh, the Rangers lineup, and you know here's a chance for Evaldi to kind of shove, and it did not work out that way. And and then beyond that, I mean the tensions that you feel when you're on a team that you know you have to win, and both teams, Seattle knows they have to win, Texas knows they have to win, um, but for whatever reason, it just feels like the pressure, because there's a little bit more wiggle room, for Texas, they were almost in the position like it was expected mm. that they were going to win a division. Now they're they're probably second-guessing, like, are we not going to win the division? Are we not going to get in the postseason? <laughs> So there's only one scenario in which they don't get in, and that is if they lose the last two games and the Astros go one and one. So of all the different things that can happen, right? The Rangers can go one and one. The Rangers can go two and zero. Oh, the Rangers can go zero oh and two. Same thing for the Houston Astros with their last two games against the Arizona Diamondbacks. There's only one combination that would boot them from the postseason, and that is going zero oh and two, lose the last two, and then have the 
uh, Arizona Diamondbacks and the uh, Houston Astros split. But the Arizona Diamondbacks could wrap up a spot in the postseason with a win, which makes Sunday the level of competition uh, potentially fascinating. But you're right. I think there is some some pressure there. Uh, injuries starting to pile up here. John Gray is gone now on the IL. Uh, Max Scherzer is on the IL. We know, of course, about Jacob deGrom has been on the IL, made just six starts this year, had to go on the IL. They expect him back sometime, hopefully for the last couple of months uh, next year. They have, and everyone's had that, right? But they've had injuries uh, that have happened in the lineup throughout the season with pretty consistent, nearly everybody has gone on the IL at some point with the exception, I think, of um, Marcus Simeon, who's just kind of an Iron Man hitting at the very top of the lineup. And then the bullpen. You know, the bullpen has been uh, an issue. Uh, some guys are starting to emerge a little bit. But going back to what you were talking about, I mean, the pressure that you feel, I was talking about on the broadcast with Dave yesterday, right? You're sitting in that chair. And, of course, you and I remember when we had the uniform on, and now we sit up in the booth and watch these games. And you have, a, you know, literally you have a much uh, higher, better view. I'm going to say a 30,000-foot view. We're not that high uh, when we're in Arlington in the ballpark. But you you see it, you feel it a little bit different. And the reality is, is that, yeah, that pressure is building there, no doubt. It's obviously, in my opinion, it's on the coaches, it's on the players to alleviate that pressure. And when you have a couple of crappy days, no matter what's going on, or even a tough week uh, in the big leagues, I don't know about you, man, but I just felt like every day I woke up, even when it was bad, you wake up, you feel fresh, and you go to the ballpark, you have the greatest job in the world, and you come in with optimism, unless there is something else bringing you down, right? I think that most players, like, they know what's there. Win a game, you're in the postseason, that's it. Uh, magic number two, meaning win one or Houston loses one, and now you've won the division. And perhaps it'll make it even a little bit more sweeter. But the whole idea of the feelings that you get and the direction in which your momentum can go when you walk into the ballpark today, um, to me, is really important. And you kind of count on those guys. And it's nice when you're around the positive guys. We talk about team culture and chemistry. This is probably when it matters the most, when your back is against the wall and what kind of vibe is your team putting out. Well, that's where leadership and and kind of sometimes it helps having young players. Mm. You know, it's sometimes it, ha- it, it it helps having some young rookies because they're like, so what? Who cares? Like, we, we, we haven't been here before. Let's go. You know, like I've, I've had that before where you have a you have a couple of young players that they're like, so what? You know, like we, we got this. This is OK. So what? we lost two games in a row. We've been playing good like it like the Mariners. They they. They don't have a chance to get in. So, like, why are we worried about it? That's that's where it helps is when you do have people in the clubhouse whose vibe is calm. Uh, that's also helps when you have a manager whose vibe is calm, uh, which it seems like Bruce Bochy is pretty calm. But I like I, I don't know. I, I, I can't sense. I, I we used to joke with Clint Hurdle when. Um, when Hurdle was the manager, he used to get so nervous. Mm. He would like pace the dugout. He would throw a ball he would pop you know cups cups on the ground he would pop the cups and then eventually we were like dude you gotta sit down you're freaking us out and he's like yeah you're right so i i mean even like a manager that's cool calm collected even though underneath we, we like to say it's like a like like you see a duck on the water you know on the top it looks like the duck is just having a blast but underneath the little duck's feet are just moving so fast um that's what you want from a manager and you want to have uh, you want to have people in the clubhouse that that still bring it, you know, like where they, you're listening to music. They come in, maybe they, you know, maybe they had a, an extra pop the night before, and then you're like, you could tell that they're kind of like a little bit tired today, but they're like, let's go, you know, like you always have one of those funny guys, 
So I feel like the, if the Rangers have that, they're okay. They should be fine. Uh, even the postseason probabilities that they that they get into the postseason, they're still at ninety percent. So they like you should be okay. They should be okay. The Astros are still chasing. The Mariners are still tra- chasing. The Rangers are still in a position of power, uh, but it is getting a little bit cl- too close for comfy. The thing you don't like on paper, Spilly, uh, is the fact again Andrew Heaney starting today. He's been in the bullpen for a little while now. How long he can go, we will see. You're not necessarily feeling great about having to use a lot of relievers based on the current state of the bullpen and not having a starter tomorrow. On the flip side, you have Luis Castillo going today for the Mariners. And then if necessary for Sunday, which likely will be for them, no matter what, uh, George Kirby and everything that's gone on with George Kirby and what happened down in Tampa is that there could be a lot on his shoulders on Sunday. And so from a pitching standpoint on paper, uh, the Mariners are in a pretty good uh, position. We talked a lot about this week about all the strikeouts that they have, uh, the issues that they have offensively, you know, yesterday it was two innings in which they scored and they relied on the home run to do it. J.P. Crawford had a big grand slam that put the game uh, out of reach as Nate Evaldi was kind of fatiguing and running into some trouble. But they scored three in one inning on a couple a, a couple of home runs in there and then a misplayed ball in the outfield by Leody Tavares. And then it was the grand slam. They scored five runs uh, in the fourth inning and that was it. And they won the game eight nothing. And they used their secondary relievers. You want to talk about depth of bullpen and why it matters. Uh, yesterday for the Seattle Mariners, closing out an 8 nothing win with two days to go and not having an off day in a while for a tired bullpen. The depth that they have put together uh, starting to show up a little bit. Now, again, they're playing from behind right now uh, and trying to catch both the Astros and the Rangers. They're two games back of the Rangers. They're one game back of the Houston Astros. They do have the tiebreaker uh, over Houston. Uh, they do not have it over Texas. Um, and Houston has it over Texas. Everybody basically has it over somebody else, which makes it extra wild. Uh, but the depth of bullpen for the Mariners really showing up. We know they traded away Paul Seawald to get Josh Rojas to get uh, Dominic Canzone, a couple of guys that have helped out. Rojas hit a home run yesterday in this game. But my goodness, the arms and how deep they go. Isaiah Campbell, not sure if you've seen him. He's got a pretty I good arm. It. On the losing side, like to have him on the losing side is a nice ad. They brought in Trent Thornton from the Blue Jays. He's been really good for them. And so they have found a way um, to build a bullpen that I think pretty much every contender is envious of right now. So I, I guess on that note, we know a team is good. I mean, we know the Mariners it, at this point, especially with how Toronto has been playing. So to, I mean, Toronto's Toronto's getting in. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle ju- is if, if they end up losing a game, which I like, I can't, they're going to lose a game, right? Like, the Rangers are going to win a game, right? <laughs> if you'd like to think so for Ranger fans, yes. Is this a, di- I mean, so the Padres got officially eliminated. Yep. And uh, in the case of the Padres, I, I saw some, you know, there's so many different tweets. You know, you, you have a possible Cy Young, you have three guys with over 25 home runs, you have Juan Soto, who's just ended up the back of his baseball card, was fantastic. Uh, over 30 home runs, over 100 walks, over 100 RBIs. Uh, it's like him, Adrian Gonzalez, and and Fred McGriff are the only players that have done that. Uh, you have a closer, the back end that that has like a one one point three ERA. Mm-hmm. Um, you have one of the top starting rotations in baseball based on ERA, and they got knocked out. And and I think the Padres are probably clearly to me the the most disappointing team of twenty twenty three. Where would you rank the Mariners if they fall just short? Even though I mean, they're 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 pushing all the way. They've made these moves. They have a great bullpen. I mean, you can't look at them the same way, right? 
Like if they end up, if they end up just short of the postseason, is that a disappointing year? Or I mean, like, how would you how would you yeah. assess that? So the difference I think for the Padres compared to the Mariners, um, yes, they put a good team together. It would be a huge disappointment in Seattle, especially after last year. But they didn't put together the kind of payroll, obviously, that the Padres did and all the veterans that they have. This is a team that looks like they're going to be around for a while. Yeah, this one would sting a little bit in Seattle if they don't make it. Uh, but it was the offenses we've talked about a lot, all the swing and miss, all the strikeouts that they could look at and say, you know what, that, that it, that's who they were. They probably realized that coming in, maybe not to this degree, maybe it was a little bit more than they anticipated on the strikeouts and then trying to figure out, is this lineup good enough going forward or are we just a couple of tweaks away? Because the pitching situation in Seattle, again, uh, is a really good one. And they have control of these guys and these young pitchers, and they're only going to get stronger. Sure, an injury or two very likely to pop up for them, just like it does for everybody else. Um, but they're in a, they're in a really good position, right? They don't have necessarily any significant um, free agents that they're too concerned about. I know Tasker Hernandez is one, and perhaps they can go out and figure out a way um, to uh, win um, or to get him back or to replace him, whatever it may be. But no, they're in position. They're built for this without having a ridiculous payroll. The problem in San Diego, it seems to me, from the outside, there was some talk about some chemistry issues. we got the Bob Melvin, A.J. Preller thing that's going on. And if Bob Melvin can't come in and get the respect of that clubhouse or make it work with the general manager, it's not a Bob Melvin problem, right? No. So that to me means it's more of the way this thing is constructed. You're going to lose sometimes with good teams. But those stories that we heard all year long and some guys that potentially are on the way out, like Josh Hader and Blake Snell, yeah, it makes it a much bigger disappointment for me in San Diego. And it makes me less optimistic until we see how their offseason unfolds for them going forward. I remain optimistic about Seattle and their next few years, regardless of whether or not they make it this year. Sure. Yeah. That's it. And that makes sense. That, that's fair. I think they're, they're, you're right. I think there's more dynamics to it uh, than just the the players on the field not competing. And again, like I've been joking around with the Padres and, and they probably wouldn't find it funny, but they need to go to baseball school. They need to learn how to play actual baseball. They had the worst record in extra innings and the worst record in one run games. That 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 was mm-hmm. a team where like if they just played decent baseball, at least in the Rangers case, you guys play good baseball. It's been the back end of the bullpen, the, the lowest percentage of saved conversions in the league. But it wasn't it wasn't based on, you know, not being able to run the bases, hit the cutoff man, <laughs> like understanding mm-hmm. nuance. Uh, the Padres are just a bad, they were a bad trained baseball team. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and you've had that. You have these talented groups, but they just don't play high IQ baseball. Mm-hmm. Padres didn't. And you and, and anybody that tries to argue and say that they do, you're you're that's why Bob would get frustrated over the course yeah. of the year. So no, it's a it was a low IQ, low baseball IQ team. And and it ended up, you know, they couldn't just out talent you. They could not out talent you, which is why I love watching the Marlins so much. Yeah, you know, that's the opposite. Yep. And your buddy Skip Schumacher, who we had a chance to talk with on Friday on Loud Outs, and uh, your former college teammate, uh, pretty incredible what he has done. The number that sticks out to me right now, Spilly, is they're holding on to that third wild card spot. They had the the suspended game that may or may not have to be played on Monday. We will see, but they're in that third spot right now with a game and a half lead over the Cubs and the. Uh, Cincinnati Reds is the fact that they have a negative 57 run differential and they are very likely going to the postseason. Now they're 83 and 76 team and they've put themselves in that position. 
that really jumps off the page, though, when you start looking at some of these other uh, postseason teams. I mean, everybody is in the positive. We we're just talking about the Mariners and probably, I say probably, but a decent chance they're not going to make it. And they're a plus 103 uh, with their run differential. But here come the Miami Marlins, uh, scratching, clawing, figuring out ways to win. They've won really well at home, 46 and 35 there. Uh, does that mean anything to you? By the way, the Diamondbacks are at a negative seven for what it's worth, but negative 57 run differential, I think, uh, on the surface, speaks to what, the thing you were just talking about, winning those close games. Obviously, a lot of blowouts in there that you lost or a handful that got you there, uh, but you're an above 500 team. You're likely headed to the postseason. You're doing all the little things right to be able to win with that kind of run differential. So uh, so a couple things, because I'm with you when it comes to run differential. I think there's it's hard to always, if you just use run differential, it's a pretty, it's not a great gauge, but if you dig in a little bit deeper and you start going into some of the numbers, first off, the Marlins are always going to play tight games. They're not like an overwhelming offensive group. So similar to Arizona, like Arizona plays good quality type baseball. Um, we also heard it from Skip Schumacher specifically, like, Hey, we don't, we don't try to lose games, but on the games that we have that we're, that we're going to win, or at least that, that are close, we do everything we can to win. And in the games where it gets sideways, they like, we'll get blown out. It's okay. Mm-hmm. They don't, if you're going to lose, might as well get lose, getting blown out. And so they're, they're one run, you know, record over the course of this year. Cause they've played more, more games that are going to be close because they don't score a ton and they pitch well. They're 32 and 13. That's the best record in baseball for the Marlins. Uh, on the flip side, I, I have already told you, the Padres are 7 and 23. Worst record in baseball. Beyond that, when you consider, and I'm not sure if you saw anything of, of the, the game last night between uh, the Marlins and the Pirates, but I had off, so I was watching this game. It looked like the Marlins were sleepwalking through the first portion of the game, and and rightfully so. They they got in oh, super late, and, and let's, I mean, like, if the Marlins were the New York Yankees and that happened to the Yankees in New York at City Field, the way that mm-hmm. the field ended up, it's a it's a national story, especially if it if it was the team trying to get into the postseason because it's the Marlins and nobody really cares. They're like, mm-hmm. ah, like, who cares if they get in? It's a it's a non story. I was I was going back a little bit more and seeing the field and then I got a bunch of text messages from people uh, that pay attention to the Marlins. They said, Hey, Spilly, look, what happened in New York is completely unacceptable. Uh, what happened with the field over there? And there's a reason why Steve Cohen uh, made a tweet about it. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the time you wouldn't get an, an owner apologizing. Yeah. You so talk about the first rain out, was... right? They had the rain out, the double header. Then the second day they come back in the, the, the last game of the series, just to catch people up real quick. Uh, they take the lead in the top of the ninth inning, two to one. The Mets had used three pitchers to try to get through that inning. It starts raining a little bit late, getting the tarp on the field. And they sat there till nearly one o'clock in the morning until they finally canceled the game. Skip Schumacher was upset, animated conversations he was having with Alfonso Marquez, the crew chief, a representative from Major League Baseball and the heads grounds crew person uh, at City Field. So he wasn't happy about it. And they end up getting in. They they suspended that game. They may have to finish it on Monday with basically four outs to go. Still in the top of the ninth with a couple of runners on for Miami, but it could have some serious postseason implications. Uh, they did not get into Pittsburgh till four thirty in the morning uh, to start their series against the Pirates on Friday. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so so great. I mean, so again, like if it wasn't the Marlins, if it was the Braves, if it was the Dodgers, if it was Yankees, if it was a team with a bigger fan base and and maybe more national. 
attention, people would, would say like, Hey, that is, that is, that's crummy. Mm. Um, but here come the Marlins. So the Marlins, they go through the first couple innings of the game. Uh, they're down three to nothing. And then here come the fight and fish in the eighth inning. Uh, Luis Arise takes a pinch hit at bat. He was straight Kirk Gibson. He's like hobbling to first base, gets a base hit, uh, ends up, you know, you, you got a big knock from uh, Jake Berger. Jazz Chisholm comes up and gets a sacrifice fly. That's the go-ahead run. They end up winning this game. Their magic number is one. One. Mm. One win in the next two days, and the fish are in. Like That's, that's incredible. That, that's an incredible story. That's an incredible story. And one that, I mean, like, that's a really feel good. And, and if the Diamondbacks end up making it in, another feel good story. Um, the the Cincinnati Reds, they boat raced St. Louis yesterday, which was which was super fun. We also got Adam Wainwright got the ovation he deserves as he took it at bat, mm-hmm. which is great. But Cincinnati still has like a puncher's chance. Chicago still has a puncher's chance, but if if the Marlins and the Diamondbacks get into the postseason, which they, mm. they there's a very high chance that they do, those are two really good stories, two really well coached teams, one by Tori Lavello, one by Skip Schumacher, teams that do it a little bit different. They're they're kind of exciting when you do watch them. They pitch well, they play defense well, they do all the little things, which is basically my point the opposite of what the Padres did. And even you can say what, what the, what the, what the Mets have done and what some of the high price, high price tag teams have done is they played, they use youth, they use speed, they used everything they possibly could. uh, And it was enjoyable baseball, even if it's from a small market. The top three teams in payroll, Spilly, are not going to the postseason. The Mets, the Yankees, the Padres, 346, 273 and 255 million dollars the baltimore orioles won that division with a payroll of about 66 million dollars i'm using the roster resource uh numbers the, and they're 29th the rays are 27th you mentioned the reds hanging in there uh probably not going to make it but they, they do have that puncher's chance as you said uh 87 million on their payroll the marlins are 22nd at 110 uh it's incredible the diamondbacks 20th at 124 i mean it's just uh, it's a brutal time right now for a high payroll team. And if you're an executive in an organization, you have got to be feeling the heat when you're looking at what's going on around the league right now. Now, top 10 teams are getting in like the Phillies, like the Dodgers uh, should be the Rangers, uh, the uh, Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. That's your top 10 uh, teams that likely are in the top 10 with a pretty good chance of going to the postseason uh, this year. But you're right. Great stories, great coaching, uh, great development, everything they've done with player development and the minor league levels, the drafting, all of it uh, coming to fruition. The Marlins have been a good story. If they get in, Skip Schumacher, I think, uh, should have a really good chance at winning uh, the National League Manager of the Year. Uh, We know uh, there are some managerial changes coming, and they're going to start piling up, Spilly, perhaps at a higher rate than I originally thought, quite honestly. We get the news yesterday. Jeff Passan, I believe, was the first to report it. Uh, that Gabe Kapler, guy who we've got to talk to every week on Loud Outs, former teammate of mine, former Fox uh, colleague as well, early in my broadcasting career, uh, apparently is getting let go. Uh, actually, the Giants ended up announcing it as well. So we know that he is getting let go and they're going to be moving on. Um, you know, it's interesting to me because I go back to two years ago with the Giants and thinking about, well, two things. Go back three years ago when Gabe Kapler had to take over 
for Bruce Bochy. That is it. That is not a position I think anybody really wanted to be. And of course, you take an opportunity when you get it. But you get a guy who's so beloved like Bruce Bochy. Gabe Kapler's first year ended up being the COVID year. So it was a shortened season. Didn't have to hear from the fans. They finished two games under uh, 500. The next year, they win 107 games. They held off the Dodgers and won the division. That was 2021. That's incredible. That whole story was incredible. Doubters the entire way that they would actually be able to finish that thing off. They did it. The next two years haven't gone well. They've essentially been right around a 500 team, 81 and 81 last year. They're 78 and 81 uh, right now with a couple of games to play. Uh, what are your thoughts here on uh, Gabe Kapler uh, getting let go by the uh, San Francisco Giants? By the way, 78 and 82, so they'll be under 500 uh, this year. But a uh, little bit shocking news, especially with a couple of days to go in the season. But the Giants making the decision that Gabe Kapler will not return. So I, I was I was surprised by this. Um... Because I, again, like, where is front office accountability? Mm-hmm. Where, where is that part of, of this game? Because it's easy. Now, I don't know all the uh, nuance behind the scenes. I don't know the relationships behind the scenes. Uh, I believe it's Greg Johnson is the, was it the owner and president, whatever is probably all the, <laughs> the omnipotent one. I, I think when it comes to Kapler, Watching this group and seeing how they use these platoon splits, and and we've talked about this. There's there's good aspects about platoon splits, meaning, you know, that you bring in a guy, you're facing a lefty. I'm a right-handed hitter, like I'm on Slater. I'm gonna face. Uh, I'll probably be hitting at the top of the lineup. I'll probably be hit the second. Get two whacks at the lefty, and the second a right-hander comes in, I'm out of the game. Even if I have two hits, even if I have good numbers against the righty, and it does work. It does. I mean, there's there, you know, you always hear about leverage and, and platoon splits and platoon advantages. And, and that's what Kapler was trying to do, but Kapler was doing that based on to me, what the, how the roster was constructed. They went out and they acquired Mitch Haniger. They got, uh, they, the Jock Peterson, you bring in mm-hmm. Michael Conforto. I mean, it's not like you were going top end of the market for players. You were getting guys, off the market that had some warts, you know, you, you weren't, you didn't bring back Carlos Rodon. And by the way, Carlos Rodon has looked awful yeah. this year. It, like, didn't get an out in his last start. Holy Gave moly. Up eight. Yeah. Put that so, one behind him. But my point is, is like the giants have gone with this platoon advantage because it worked in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this last two seasons, because of, of trying to put players in different spots, Defensively, they've been garbage. Yeah, the Giants have been the bottom of baseball the last two years combined in defensive efficiency. The worst. They were number one in 2021 when they won 107 games. So it's like they they were getting too cute. They were mm-hmm. getting too like ah, see it works. We can keep doing this with any. You can't do platoon matchups and throw guys into defensive positions that they're not comfortable with. Just because you think it works, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work all the time. And even in 2021, you know, you say, well, Spilly, you know, why did it work in 2021? Because he still had Buster Posey. Because Brandon Belt had a career year. Because Brandon Crawford had a career year. Because Lamont Wade had a career year. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, let's, let's call it for what it is. You had good players that played well. And now you think the platoon advantage is is the way to go, and it clearly wasn't. So for me, at the end of this, 
it felt like Kapler ends up being the scapegoat, the guy that falls on the sword for a front office that was feeling themselves a little bit too much yeah. on a, on a method that, that does it, that is not always guaranteed to work. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. And you're right about as far as, you know, how does accountability go? Uh, and the way they put this thing together, they took their shots. Obviously, it's some really big time players. It didn't happen um, for them. And, you know, we watched them try to work their magic. Um, but it's been kind of incredible to see um, the real struggles for the San Francisco Giants this year. And the defensive part of it for me, I found it very fascinating. I remember a couple of years ago, we were going on about how great their defense was, as you mentioned. And there was that that machine that they were using, that red machine uh, to to run their infield. And everybody in the industry saw the results they got and went out and bought that same machine. And you know now you were behind the times if you didn't have it. And now all of a sudden you realize, well, you know, it's really probably about personnel at the end of the day. Not to saying that things like that can't help, uh, but it just to me was a little bit of a reflection on kind of what we do with the industry sometimes in our industry and how we react to certain things and trends. And uh, to me, it, it always will come down to the quality of players. Yes, there's things that you can do to make them better, but the quality of players uh, that you have uh, certainly an issue for the San Francisco Giants it seems kind of unfair. Uh, they currently only have three players uh, that would qualify. Uh, for a batting title in the sense of how many actual plate appearances they got, which I thought would have been the lowest. The A's and the Twins only have one. That's amazing. Carlos yeah. Correa and Brent Rooker. But this is the platoon error, too, which is just kind of fascinating to see uh, where we are right now. It uh, works, teams. but it can't work with everybody in the lineup. That's that's yeah. my my. I mean, like the Dodgers, they tried doing this a couple years ago. You remember we were in the World Series and... and mm-hmm. uh, Max Muncie and Bellinger sitting down and you're like, what? Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it works to an extent, but when you have really good players, you play them every day. Just look at the Atlanta Braves. Uh, one last little note. And, and I know you'd appreciate this for a second. Uh, Kai Correa, who ended up is the interim um, manager right now, division three. Um, you know, like he, he is, when you think about his heritage, he's, he's a Hawaiian. Um, and yesterday when, when I saw Dave Roberts and Kai Correa uh, at home plate and exchanging cards and thinking about how, uh, how diverse the sport has become and how global and how cool uh, it is to see it. And, and we are getting the influx of, of good coaches from uh, college ranks. You don't have to be from a power five school or having had played major league baseball. Um, it was pretty cool to see Kai Correa uh, in that position. Kai was the guy that brought the red, Amazon pitching machines to uh <laughs> to the majors too. So kind of well, cool. I don't know if he takes that role. I'm assuming they're going to do their their no. whole but they got to I mean, go experience. Are, they can yeah. I mean I, the, the trend has leaned toward back experienced managers. I know that we saw and I I think I look at St. Louis in particular and with Ali Marmol and they're bringing him back and I think you get yourself in a dangerous position because the assumption there is they have a guy that they know that they can control to some degree. I think, you know, the the Bruce Bochy types, I know it hasn't worked out great with Buck Showalter and the New York Mets, uh, but I feel like we are trending back in that direction. If you're pouring heavy resources into your team, um, you got to make sure that you have somebody that uh, is respected in the clubhouse and has the experience behind him. I'm saying he's not, uh, but it's just, to me, that job feels like it's got to be an experienced guy. So whether we see, you know, the likes of uh, Joe Girardi coming back out of retirement, certainly not a retirement, but just looking for uh, another opportunity um, could be uh, a possibility. Not to say that we're not going to see any uh, young 
inexperienced managers get hired. I think we probably will because, I don't know, there could be a many, as many as eight openings now the way that this thing is going. We'll see what happens with both New York teams. The whole Craig Council, Milwaukee Brewers thing is kind of hanging out there um, a little bit. Phil Nevin with the Angels, uh, we'll see there. We know that Terry Francona has retired. Uh, Dusty Baker, I think, is probably getting close uh, to the end in Houston. And so there's a lot of possibilities for Padres. Uh, managers. Yeah, the Padres. I mean, to me, that means Bo, uh, Bob Melvin ends up somewhere else, maybe even coming back to the Bay Area. But he's got one year left on his deal. And I don't know if the Padres would necessarily uh, allow that to happen. Uh, they don't have to do anything and they can make him the manager next year. But if there are some real issues, uh, and I say make the managers make him stay as the manager of the Padres, but if there are some real issues, he can also just step away for a year too. Uh, if that's going to be a problem, if they're not going to let him go. Um, so that all becomes very interesting. So there certainly will be uh, some opportunities for some experience, some new managers as well uh, on their way. But uh, there will be quite a few uh, openings. It does appear Gabe Kapler, the first of um, the group. What do they have, like 17 coaches on their staff, right? That's the other thing that you mentioned. You know, what are they going to do there? That's uh, you know a lot of jobs and a lot of people. And that is a lot of work to do uh, for the uh, Giants as they figure out who is going to lead their team next time around. All right, that'll do it for us here. On the Negative War Positive Vibes podcast, we got two days left of the regular season. Uh, Spilly and I will be back soon, uh, no doubt. And then you got loud outs all week on MLB Network Radio as the postseason will start on Tuesday. Lots of fun baseball uh, to get to. We'll be with you every step of the way. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>